Cuckoo to the Monde, it's your two favorite French bookworms. Hi, this is Helen. I'm originally from Indiana and moved to Europe after university. And I'm Miranda, born and raised in Toronto and now living and working in Ottawa. This is the podcast that explores the diversity of the Francophonie. Come with us through dozens of countries and listen to over 300 million voices. So this week we're exploring Le Tour de la France par des enfants by G. Bruno, um, who is actually Augustine Fouillet. Okay, so before we start discussing this book, um, we want to mention that, as we pointed out, the book is authored under a pseudonym. The real author is Augustine Fouillet, and she was married to a French philosopher, and she wrote a number of educational philosophy civic duty manuals that were used in schools, but this is by far her most famous and most distributed work. Great. Well, let's start it off with our normal 30-second description. Can you do it, Miranda? It's a big big test. It's a hard one this week. (laughs) (laughs) It is almost impossible, but I'll do my best. The Prussians have invaded and conquered Alsace-Lorraine, and two orphan boys begin a journey to the south to find their uncle. At each stop along the way, they discover new towns, gentle and hardworking people, and essential traits of the good French citizen. They eventually establish a farm, incorporating all the knowledge they've gained over the journey. It's a novel to teach and explain French morality, civic duty, and inspire patriotism. Yes, very well said. Thank you. Pretty good. Helen, what were your uh, first impressions of this novel? Okay, so my first impressions were this book is from the 19th century. So I honestly thought it was going to be a bit slower, not super interesting. I love me 19th century English literature, but not so much the literature I've read in my French classes. However, I would say this caught me from the beginning. The opening pages completely turned my my judgment around and brought me straight into this fun adventure with these boys. Of course, it grabbed my heart because they start in and very close to where you live. So I thought of you immediately. Oh, that's very sweet. <laughs> yeah, well, I was actually given this book from a colleague when I was living in France. So I really loved reading it at the time. And I really enjoyed reading it again this time, specifically because of the the specialties of each region that they explain, the different animals and customs that are native to each place. Um, I also love that it's really simple language. We talked about this, that um, it's made for children. So as a learner of the French language, it's an approachable book for beginners. And they do a really good job adding tidbits of extra knowledge as well. So if they use a new vocabulary word or they're explaining something pretty technical, right there you have a little excerpt that says, this is what this means. This is how the process works. Look for this star in the sky. Absolutely. And they also had really adorable pictures and illustrations, which help you figure out what they were trying to talk about. I do want to point out before we dive into the book, or before we talk about it, that this book was written a long time ago. It was originally published in 1877. The copy I have is from 1907. It is dated in many ways, and there's some pretty inexcusable racism in it. We just sort of have to take that for what it is. It's not great. Yeah, there were certainly a few other aspects as well that are clearly dated. Yeah, so Helen, what are we drinking today? I am drinking a fun little mocktail. I have a Perrier with some cucumber slices and a nice teaspoon of lemon 
juice mixed in there. So very refreshing. And that sounds very good. That sounds... Yeah, you inspired me with all of your fancy apparel spritz the last few episodes. So Thanks what are you much. drinking? I am drinking a strawberry lemonade. So sort of the mocktail as well, but basically, yeah, yeah basically just lemonade with some strawberry syrup in it that's you know mocktail creations for the one today <laughs> yeah why not so what language did we read the book in we read the book in french and that is because it's only available in french we do our best to find books written or at least translated into both languages sometimes that's not going to happen but we do feel strongly that this book it's really important for understanding the French identity, exploring that. We also find that it's very accessible for language learners because it was written for the children like we just talked about. And I just want to add on top of that that, you know, it says a lot about what it's trying to accomplish in its audience in the way that it's only written in French. That really says something about who they're trying to talk to. So uh, I think that leads us well into our next question. Of what role did language play in your understanding of the book? I think it played a very big role. So you just briefly mentioned that this was written for children, and that made the language so accessible. It was written at a lower level. So even though it's an older style, and sometimes those pieces get very difficult to read with the different words that we no longer have in our vocabulary, this was very much an easy read for new language learners beginning their French. They explain the vocab words, they really take you by the hand and walk you through and it was so refreshing because it was such an easy read. But I think what's really interesting is that this book was released with a new edition. So my copy was the original release and you have an older edition and the language changes between the two books. Yeah, pretty drastically as well. Um, anybody who has spent some time in France and gotten into the inevitable argument about laïcité um, will know that uh, the French have a very strict separation of church and state, um, and this extends to the educational system. Because this was used in schools, there needed to be um, edits made to the original copy, and that really included taking out almost any mention of religion. Not every mention, but pretty much everything. Uh, can you give us some examples? Absolutely. So in my book, they had sentences that said, you know, my God, where are my children? Or, you know, your father is in heaven. Whereas in your copies, they would say, alas, you know, where are my poor kids? Or, you know, your father is dead. Yeah. Um, so very different changes, and it does change how you read the book. There was actually quite a few scenes cut. I had a very touching moment where the children are alone in the woods in the cover of night, uh, leaving their hometown, and they're you know newly orphaned, they're scared, and they're huddled together praying the Lord's Prayer. And that was not in your book at all. No, that, that was not in my book. In my copy of the book... The Lord's Prayer is completely not in it at all. And the last sentence is, Et les deux enfants frappent un coup timide. And it goes okay. on to the second, the second chapter. Yeah, they're murmuring from heart the Lord's Prayer together in the, in the forest. Right. So there's just, 
it, it says a lot about the society of France in the 1800s, but then also it says a lot about the society and the role of language in the early 1900s and even to this day where that is, you know, what is expected in, in school textbooks. Absolutely. So shall we dive into our, our big themes, our juicy themes for this week? <laughs> Absolutely, and we're going to put a disclaimer out that this may be a long episode because there's just a lot to talk about. This book is taught in schools, and for two nerds, it was kind of a dream, um, and there's, there's there are a lot of themes to talk about, but we're going to try and keep it to three themes, and our first theme is la patrie, or patriotism nationalism. Am I translating that correctly? Yeah, la patrie is... It's very much the noun associated with, you know, like the, the word patriotisme exists in France as well. But the patrie is more of the, the homeland, the fatherland. Um, you know, how it, Germany sometimes is translated as Deutschland, the, the isn't that the fatherland? Deutschland? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so in that sense, it's the French version of that. It's the, it's the way to say this is our mother, motherland, home, home terre. Oh my goodness, the Franglais is coming out in force today. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. Um, okay, well, why don't you talk a little bit about the La Patrie and the way you saw that theme in this book? Yeah, so I, in university, spent a lot of time studying nationalism in Europe. And I think that's something very important in today's world and in the politics that are sweeping the globe uh, with the rise of populism and nationalism. Uh, flaring up. So I think it's very important to not forget that these are current as well as historic themes. It's very interesting to see the roots or how certain things came about. But this book really does a good job of shaping it, the French narrative or the French identity, the story that the children are supposed to grow up with of what it means to be French what it means to live in this country of France, just to remember like nationalism was on the rise from like the 1820s to the 1920s leading up to the First World War. And the idea of the nation was really starting to come about. So before that, this consolidated idea of the nation state wasn't as fully developed. It was very much the regional pockets. Um, a lot of times people think of Italy as a good example of you know, Florence and Venice and Rome were very separate political spheres, the idea of a state. And so to have a nation combine and make whole these areas or what we consider countries nowadays was a rather new concept. And that is definitely seen in this book as we journey throughout the different pockets and how at this time in the late 1870s, it's becoming a fully modernized one nation of France. Right. And I think it's also important to note that, as I mentioned in the description of this book, this takes place right after a war, um, uh, the Franco-Prussian War, which France lost. Um, and so... Badly. <laughs> and so uh, we're building an idea of what we want France to be, partly because of that. When you get knocked down, you need to remember who you are, Right. Um, but I know that if you'll indulge us, we have a bit of a, an academic reference that this made us think of. 
For anyone that's studied myths and legacies in the construction of society and the nation, Benedict Anderson's Imagine Communities is a canonical textbook read. It's not quite a textbook, it's a short short book, but well worth it. And he explores this idea of myth-making or how the, the idea of the nation-state really relies on the indoctrination and the instruction of these myths, of these stories. We see a construction of something that has existed in time memorial, so going backwards indefinitely. And we see that throughout this book with the references to Gaul and the heroes against Caesar and how France and our heroes have been defending this land since that time. And then the other aspect of nationalism is, again, this limitless future of we are going indefinitely towards the future with modernization. We have factories. They're having one codified language of French instead of the various dialects, which we referred to in last week's episode. They're kind of sprinkling in all of these concepts of what it means to be French, what it looks like as a nation now. And because of that, and using Anderson's ideas, as well as Ernest Geller's, this book really helps in inventing the nation of France. It's a really big tool to lay the foundations of, you know, this mythic understanding of Frenchness. Absolutely. That's very well said. And Helen and I both uh, studied political science. And these are really important themes. You know, Anderson talks about how a nation doesn't exist. It's an imagined thing. It can be constructed. Um, And Ernest Geller, the same idea. So, you know, it's really important because I think a lot of people look at Europe as historical place, but the truth is, just like you referenced with Italy, a lot of these countries that we now see as being so deeply rooted in history um, didn't look like the France or the Italy we know now, and we're actually very separated. So Mm -hmm. the building of this nation is really important because, you know, even communities now believe that, you know, France, well, these places have been around France since the 11th century. Well, were they really part of France in the 11th century? You know, I mean, did France fight Caesar or or was that Gaul? And so it's a really interesting conversation. And it's definitely something the author pushes very hard in this, in this book is that France has always existed and you are all French and you should all be proud of all the things that the French people have done. And she does it so beautifully by weaving in children's stories because throughout the book, the, the child, the eight-year-old, is reading about the heroes of France. And so through that book, we also learn as readers, the monolithic heroes, the philosophers, the scientists, the politicians, the military heroes, we too get to hear their stories, where they're from. And again, going back to this idea of imagining communities, it's so important to have physical representations of that. And so throughout the book, we come across many, many monuments. Some of these monuments you may know, the, the Pantheon is a living representation of these heroes. They are buried there. You can go visit them. It is a shrine to the greatest Frenchman and now Frenchwoman to have lived. So that is very, very important in understanding and creating this sense of pride and patriotism within community. And the other thing we wanted to talk about when we discussed La Patrie is education, because it was one of the biggest reforms made by Napoleon. And it's certainly something that comes through in the book 
time and time again is how important education is to these children and not only public the ed- education yes public education so part of that is also the french language because this book is only distributed in french i think it really makes a strong statement that french is the language of france and there is one french and that unites france as a place that comes through a lot in the book yeah so i do want to just point out um in french history there are several napoleons and it gets very confusing for outsiders so these reforms that she's mentioning are from napoleon the first which dates back before this book was written napoleon the third lost the war against the prussians shall we move on to our second major theme of this book yeah, which that kind of is another big thing with Napoleons and the leaders of France. So they have a system where we are currently in the Fifth Republic. This book was written in the Third Republic. The Third Republic, again, indulge the historical uh, side of me. I do have a degree in history, <laughs> so I love this stuff. So basically what happens with the French system is that after the French Revolution and the fall of the monarchy, they create a constitution and a body. So they have a Senate, they have representatives. uh, And this is much, uh, this represents the time, right? So this is the same, around the same time America is also undergoing its, its reforms and creating the political system Americans know today. Um, So basically that is considered the first Republic. And then what happens is, Through various changes, military defeats, uprisings, you name it, we have the fall of various republics. And that means there's a change or a reinvention of the Constitution. They modernize and they change it when it is time to do that. This third republic is coming after the defeat against the Prussian army. It lasts all the way up until the Second World War. So it's about a 70-year time span for the Third Republic. The book makes it seem very cohesive and, you know, everyone's happy, but it was actually a very divisive time in France. It barely made it to (laughs) World War II. And then, like I said, we're currently in the Fifth Republic. We get that with Charles de Gaulle. There you go. So that's a history lesson on the republics of France. <laughs> that's very helpful. That's good. No, it's it's good. And in classrooms, as you know, uh, Helen and I both used to teach. Um, in classrooms, they have a lot of things on this where they'll show the timeline of the different republics and they talk about the Fifth Republic. It's very much still a part of political discourse, even though it sounds like something from <laughs> from a long time ago. It is, you know, what they currently call, you know, the Fifth Republic. So it's still used. Yeah, and there are, it's not like it's a stop and start. They don't start from scratch. So this book in the Third Republic, as well as what we talked about with the Napoleon I, he created the back, he created the public school system. And the French are very loyal to that. They do still have the baccalaureate. They do follow a very strict system we know as assistance. This was very regimented. Everywhere in France, as well as the Département de Outre-mer, you know, if it said the Terminales had English class at 10.15, every person in Terminal will be learning English at that time. Like, they are very regimented. They are. And they and education is very different. We don't have to get into it a lot right now, but we can just mention that, you know, in France, kids go to school basically from 8 in the morning until 5. 
And in at least in Canada, it's much more like nine to three. Education is a huge part of um, of being a French citizen, and that's what we also want to get into with moral and civil or civic responsibilities that are being pushed in this book, partly to form the idea of the Third Republic. And part of that is just talking about, you know, what is good citizenship? What does this book put forward as being uh, your civic responsibility? Yeah, and I really enjoyed this part because it was written for children. So how do you know, pass on stories? How do we learn our morals and our civil codes? But I found so much of what they were teaching these children to be so true to French society today. The idea of you help your neighbor Mm -hmm. um, when they're in need. You think of others. But I also loved that you don't just get to do that. Like, you don't just get to tap on the door and be like, oh, I need help. No, you gotta work your way into the social circle, make friends, gain trust. And we saw that throughout the whole book. Can you talk to that a little bit as someone that's had to integrate French circles for help? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, we've just discussed this before. I was in a very small place in France. You know, you have to, sometimes you need help. So, right. And, and, and I think that it's important to note that the French are not the most welcoming people off the bat. Now, I don't want to say that and offend any of my friends in France because they've been wonderful to me and they were welcoming off the bat. But I would say the average French person off the street is a little standoffish towards um, outsiders. The book sort of talks about how you need to build up credit almost with, with people. You need to be hardworking and honest. You need to listen to their stories. One of the things that I really love that's in the very beginning of the book is that there's a chapter that's essentially called, you know, the generosity of the poor. It talks about how if you are hardworking and generous, you will be rewarded wherever you go. And none of that sort of phrase is none more important or none more true than in the regions of Lorraine. At least to me, that's very true. Well, I think what's important too is this region, which we see in the book, it is always on the border of war. So like we've mentioned in previous podcasts, Alsace has gone back and forth and that makes Lorraine the border zone. We see here parts of Lorraine went back to Germany after these wars or the Prussian Empire at the time. So we do have this idea of they're a war-torn area. They lose a lot. And that happens time and time again. Um, Even up until World War II, this was a really hard-fought area during the First World War with trenches, during the second with the bombings. A lot of towns have had to restart many, many times. Absolutely. And, and, you know, as we've talked about before with the idea of terroir or history shaping food and cuisine and culture, you know, this shapes a lot in Alsace and Moselle, which is the department I was in. Um, For example, we get an extra day off, an extra holiday on Easter. You get two. You get two. Yeah, well, because because of the history and it's much, it it went back and forth and the religion was very important to Alsace and to Moselle, my department. (laughs) I can't say my department. (laughs) (laughs) It's not mine. I don't own it. You know, just just like history shapes people and shapes the narrative of nations, it really does shape 
regions and cultures. You know, there's not a lot of wine that was produced in, you know, 1940 in Alsace, even though Alsace is one of the best wine producing regions in France, right? I mean, this was a war-torn area. The boys start their journey in Falsburg, which is about 10 minutes, 15 minutes from where I lived. It's, it's really hard to describe, but I mean, that area is so French now, but it's so complicated. It's not just, oh, we're French and we've, you know, there's this, this deep history that everyone is aware of and, and really runs throughout the culture. I do want to back you up. It's not just the fact that this is personal antidotal experience. We actually have integrated into French social circles, which for a lot of assistants or people that are just moving to France, it does take time. But I will say, if you look at the numbers, because I'm a number nerd, forgive me, but the French score, some of the lowest trust scores for the whole European Union. So the OECD finds about 80% of French people say most people can't be trusted. And so that's, you know, we're not just making it up that there are some trust issues here. This is a common thing. And that could mean, oh, I'm not going to trust someone off the street. Or that can also mean don't leave your phone on the table when you're at an outside cafe because someone's going to steal it. You definitely see French women holding their bags close on the metro while the tourists from other countries maybe with higher trust scores will leave their laptop and run to the bathroom because we do that in America. Don't do that here. <laughs> like, not and, a good idea. <laughs> and I think it's also part of that, you know, exactly what Helen's saying is that it's not like French people are more likely to steal your bag. It's that they are more likely to believe someone will steal your bag. You exactly. Know, they're, they're... It's, a, it's a, in the head. But again, I would say they score. So they have some of the highest scores for within trust groups. And so that means once you're in, you're family. And I think this yeah. book really does show that once the boys prove that they're not there to steal the old stuff from the grandmother, they prove that they're there, like, I'll fetch you your water, madam. Like, I'll go to school and work hard. Everyone falls in love with them. Everyone helps them. And they all care for these children as if they are their own. And so um, that's important yeah. too. And I find that to be 100% accurate to my experiences with my French group, um, as well as my, my colleagues. They were so ready to step up and help when I really needed someone. Yeah, well, and you know that my love, my colleagues, I really miss them. And I was 100% part, you know, as you said, you know, I was extra lucky because I went for a second year teaching and those relationships are now just like concrete, you know, they're just so solid. I sent, when I send postcards to uh, the families that I knew when I was in France, you know, they will send me emails back saying, oh, like our kids love that they got a postcard from their Canadian sister. And, you know, you're really just integrated into the family when you're in. But yeah. it does take You got to build up time. your credit. You got to get your trust levels up and then you're golden. <laughs> Someone once said to me that the French are like pineapple or something or like a, like a plum where like, it's just sort of not a plum, like a pineapple where it's really, they're hard on the outside. But once you're in, you're really in and you can really feel really a part of something. And Americans and Canadians can be a bit more surface level friendly, but still not trust you <laughs> or, yeah. you know, not, not wear their emotions on their sleeve. Honestly, it helps because sometimes you can think you're in the group and no one likes you because they just have to be nice to you. In France, you'll know. You'll know oh, yeah. if you're in or out and there's oh, yeah. no question. So, you know, don't worry 
when you're sitting at home going, do they like me? You'll know. You'll know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Can we just talk about for a moment the kind of building on this trust for the love of French administration? These poor boys have to have papers. And yes. so this is a big thing for anyone that's ever attempted to live in France um, as an outsider, visas, paperwork, paperwork, French administration. It's my nightmare. But even French people, they have an obsessive need to track everything. Can you please explain to the listeners who may not know what French people have that carry, they carry with them for the entirety of their life? I find this insane. Yeah, so instead of having a quote-unquote birth certificate. They have what I would call a life certificate. What that means is, unlike in the U.S., and I don't know about Canada, you know, you have a piece of paper that says, born here, parent, parent, date, signed, right? No, no, no. France, you have an entire letter that grows. So you have a nice paragraph saying you were born in this hospital, in this city, in this department, in this region, because everyone needs to be aware of every order, because again, if French administration, your parents, their birth names, for instance, if your mother has changed her name, you will have all of her names. You will have your dad, where they were born, which department they came from. Then, you know, everything that happens in your life will go on to that. So if you get paxed, which is a civil union of sorts in France, if you get unpaxed, it goes on there. So be careful how many times you want to do some of these things because <laughs> you can't hide it. If you're married three times and divorced three times, it's on your birth certificate. Anyone can see that. There's no, there's no like, oops, got that annulled. No one needs to know. We'll know. We'll know. French people, I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't say French people love administration. The French culture is administrative. And French people make fun of it and they'll say, oh, French administration. But they all do the dance, man. Like... <laughs> Just as these kids, these kids are dancing left and right. So every time someone, you know, signs a piece of paper that says these kids are good, they have to go to the mayor's office and get it notarized by the mayor. I am also here to tell you, I have gotten more things notarized in France than I ever have. And it's always for something silly like this. I am single. Gotta go get that notarized. I, (laughs) you know, um, during the COVID confinement, we had to have papers to, to leave our house and we had to sign it and we had tested to, on our honor. And they trust that. They trust the fact that we're attesting on our honor. My American family kept saying, well, how do they know? How do they know? And I was like, this is part of France. This is an honor system. If you're caught without one, you'll be fined. If you're caught lying, it's going to look bad. And there is a sense of collective We need to be honorable. Yes, I'm sure there's people that broke it, but the overall general society goes back to the civics and morals that we we see in this book. Right. I mean, just to defend some of North America, you know, there's a joke that's been going around in this COVID crisis in Canada, and the joke is, how do you get Canadians to stay home? You ask them nicely. And, you know, part of that is just to say that there are some countries that maybe are a little bit more prone to uh, rebelling or revolutionary spirit, even when it's not needed. Um, and I would say that, like you said, the French culture is one of an honor system. And I think that shows up a little bit in Canadian culture as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, this kind of goes into our next theme, which is 
The Discovery and Adventure of France. Right. So our third theme is the adventure and discovery of France. And I also wanted to specifically talk about rural France because the book talks a lot about rural areas. I really enjoyed that part of it because, you know, again, being in a small place in France, you sort of go like, well, I don't know much about France other than the cities, other than the big places. And just as we said in the previous theme, one thing that's pushed is that you know, simple rural people are really the backbone of France and the French um, economy. That that also comes through a lot. And I just... Which I, I say is true today. Can, like, I mean, if we think about it, that was part of the sentiment behind the Yellow Jackets or the Gijan protests was that, was don't forget these hardworking farmers, these rural Frenchmen who are bearing what was basically the cost of some big companies in the big cities. Absolutely. You can be on both sides, there's there's merit, but that it goes back to the same concept a bit. Yeah, absolutely. This book was actually kind of cool because it plays off of one of our other books, One More Croissant for the Road, which was entirely in English and a sort of outsider's perspective. But she also traveled to a lot of these regions, not all of them, and sort of tried to find the specialties of the region. And that's something that I am super obsessed with. We talked previously about the idea of terroir and the specificity that a place can have. These boys discover the specialties through like artisan culture in each region. The other thing that I really love that I just want to point out, there's a lovely passage when they are in Savoie. They learn about cheese making, which I mean, déjà c'est bon. But they learn, they learn through the cheesemaker that no one person can afford to make a whole wheel of cheese. They don't have that many dairy cows. So each farmer or dairy producer brings milk and it's weighed and they'll collectively make a wheel of cheese and then get their portion of the cheese from how much milk they put in. And I just really love that because I think it explains so much about French culture without going off on a tangent. I think French culture is very egalitarian and very mm-hmm. socialist at its core. I don't mean socialist in this big bad way. I I mean a small s small s socialist. Small s socialist. Sense. I would say that France is the kind of place where, you know, you're not expected to have all of your life together. That it really are their communities build up people and communities build families. I I think that nothing illustrates that better than that moment where obviously nobody can afford to make a whole wheel of cheese, but why would you not work together and get something out of it? And it really, it goes back again to these principles and these civil codes that we're learning, but the, the three words of France are égalité, fraternité, liberté. So e- equality, fraternity, and liberty. And we see that, right? Everyone should have the right to be equal. There is a sense of fraternity. Let's help each other. The other thing I wanted to point out with fraternity, bring a great point, the, the kids are orphans. They really become not only, you know, their brothers themselves, but they become sons of or children of France and they become family with everyone they meet, you know, and that is really consistent throughout French culture. Even in the the national anthem, they say, nos enfants de la patrie, right? Like you're literally from the country, from the homeland, you know, you're you're children of the homeland. Ah, we could do a whole podcast (laughs) on the Marseillaise. It's one of my favorite uh, national anthems. It's pretty awesome. 
can we talk about maybe a few fun sites that they visit that didn't oh, come up yeah. in one more croissant for the road? Because, you know, getting a French perspective of what places should be highlighted was different from the outsider's perspective. Absolutely. Well, they visit a lot of really interesting places. I particularly love the stuff in Lorraine just because it's the stuff that I know. They, you know, they referenced it a couple places that I've been to and a lot of some trails that I went to. So that was kind of nice. One of those places is Baccarat, which yes. I think actually a lot of Americans or foreigners will recognize because it's famous for its very, very luxurious, expensive crystal. Baccarat made crystals for the royal family at some point, but I know even in America, quite a few people as wedding gifts will have crystal wine glasses from Baccarat as their special wow. gifts. I also wanted to say, you know, when I was talking about the specialities of each region, it's incredible how much of that has remained the same, considering how much France has changed since the publication of this book. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff in the book is very dated, um, but the specialities are still true. Savoie still makes cheese, Baccarat still makes crystals. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the regions have not strayed from their historical um, trades. And I actually got to visit, I think you did too, and I got to watch the video and see the factory of actually where they make it. It was a very interesting experience because the town, it's not even a town, it's a tiny, tiny village with just a very famous um, artisan industry. Yes, I went there on a school trip whose idea it was to take a bunch of 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds to a crystal factory. I'm not sure. but Dangerous because um, you can definitely accidentally break... I think I had a I think I had a heart attack like four times, um, but you know it was a lot of like shh, tushpo, tushpo. and it's still worldwide you know world renowned. They still make chandeliers and specialty crystals for people around the world for royal families. All the way even they mentioned making a chandelier for the Japanese royal family. Yeah, or you know if you want to spend your own money, commoners are encouraged to also purchase their pieces. At the gift shop. <laughs> this is, this is, yeah, this is an advertisement for Becca. Hashtag sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be peak. That would be incredible. Yeah. So, well, that was that was a fun one in this area of, or I should say, in my neck of the woods. But I really enjoyed some of the places down south. Uh, mm. So to make a quick connection, they take a boat and they get to set. And so just a little fun connection for me is set is very very close to where my boyfriend's family lives so I've been actually been able to be there and it was so cool to see the name change they spelled it c-e-t-t-e and nowadays it's actually s-e-t-e they made a note that sometime in the history set decided to change its name (laughs) gotta love the french language when the name doesn't sound different but it's spelled completely different (laughs) The little details, really. And you know. okay, indulge me for a second, but I really just want to mention that while they're in Marseille, there is a passage that is just horribly racist, and we just can't ignore that. Um, it's the worst part of the book for me. They discuss the four races of man uh, as if there are races or, you know, only four. I don't know. Um, and they talk about the white race being by far the best. Um it's shitty. It's awful. I don't really know what we need to say more than this book is incredibly dated, but that's inexcusable racism. I just think it's important to mention because, you know, it's there. Moving 
to other areas of France, were there any that stuck out to you as different or compared to the last podcast? You know, was there any comparisons that really changed because it was from a French perspective? Obviously, being in Lorraine, they had a much deeper understanding of our area that I know we kind of harped on Felicity Cloak about when in her book, One More Croissant for the Road, she didn't do our region justice, we felt. She couldn't <laughs> find a, a Pâté Lorraine or a Quiche Lorraine. Um, and this obviously was, uh, you know, Lorraine kept coming up uh, because it's where they're from and was very rich and, and showed the, the diversity of the region and how, you know, like described that omelette au lard, like, which sounded so good. The other thing I wanted to mention, which you just mentioned, is that the boys take a whole bunch of different types of transportation, which I thought was really interesting because France is an interesting geography. There are mountains like in the Alps. There are, you know, uh, sort of hilly forest regions like Lorraine. And the south is gorgeous and, and right on the Mediterranean. So I think it was really cool for them to take a bunch of different transportations and see all the different ways you can see France. Yeah, which definitely goes back to this book, you know, indoctrinating and being used as propaganda for the great modernization effort. We see horse and buggies, we see horse-drawn carriages, we have steamboats, sailboats, little, little rowboats um, on foot. What else was there? They did take a quasi-train, I believe, of some yeah. kind. Yeah. Um, but what is, was considered very expensive, and a French person would say, yet today, the SNCF trains are mighty expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Which, as a Canadian, they're not, but it's Yeah, okay. I keep arguing that, and the French love to complain, and I really need to stop getting in their way. No, so. <laughs> it's not an argument worth having. It's not an argument you'll win. Nope, it's not. <laughs> um, I also really enjoyed the description of... The North, I thought this book did a little bit better job getting into it. Brittany and Normandy, the narrative has changed greatly after World War II. And I think as a tourist destination for Americans, English, Canadians, um, as well as many other people, but especially because of the stories that took place during World War II, between Felicity's Cloak searching out, you know, the galettes or the different treats, the sugary goodness of the Tintin, we didn't get a lot of the Breton culture or the Norman culture. And that's actually, if we go back before World War II, there's a very rich ancient culture there as well. And I thought this book did a little bit better job representing or showing that history through a side character who was, you know, a sailor from Brittany and very proud of that. And that's still an identity a lot of these villages and locals hold on to, as well as the very historical roots. Going back to the the stories of King Arthur of finding the sword in France. You can you can still go to the forest and there's a little spot. So. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that, you know, the North has some of the strongest um, pride that I've seen in France. And uh, this book really represents why, what they have to be proud of. They have a lot to be proud of. And and I think it better represents the, the culture and, and how different it is. You know, uh, Brittany is completely different landscape than than a lot of the rest of France. And to briefly wrap up, uh, the last thing that I would say is this is dated 
And that means all of the heroes presented in this book, except one, were white males. So in our next few books, we're very excited to talk about different heroes that have risen up or the stories that haven't been told. I think that's very important to point out. I will briefly mention the one heroine that we meet is uh, Jeanne d'Arc, um, who is actually a native of Lorraine. So shout out Woo-hoo! once again to our region. Of course, I think she's one of the most famous historical women in general, but especially in the psyche of France. Absolutely. I would just add, although you're completely right that, you know, everyone mentioned is, uh, you know, old white man, uh, except Jean d'Arc, uh, our author is really an incredible woman to look at. You know, the book isn't perfect. I'm not saying she's perfect, but to be a woman in 1870s writing books, even under a pseudonym, it's a great story. It's wonderful to see. And these these texts have been used in classrooms just up until the 1950s. It's really quite an incredible feat. This kind of goes into our last question, which is how does this book question the idea of the francophonie? I think I'll just say the obvious. This book is a manual on French culture, and it's literally was taught in schools. It's the definition of stereotypical to me. That does not mean it doesn't expand Frenchness. So what I mean is that I really love the portrayal of rural France. I thought that it was really great and showed the diversity that France has to offer. It's not expanding France beyond borders. It's closing it in. As I said, the the racist passage doesn't expand, you know, the French protectorates, the French colonies, the, you know, areas that now France lays claim to. But, you know, in this book are are absent. So that's missing for me. It's, It's a mixed bag. I love the specificity of it because that's a really great way to ensure that this is an accurate portrayal of France. But it also is doing some indoctrination, nation building stuff that makes it a little hard to say, oh, yes, it's really questioning the francophonie. It's it's defining what it means to be French. I agree. That was my takeaway was it's almost hard to say it's stereotypical because it's actually defining and creating the francophonie that we're actually talking about in all the other books. Without this concept of the francophonie and France as a nation, we don't get the expansion of that idea of Frenchness around the world. It definitely portrays France, France Metropole, old white men, philosophers, but they're, they're, they're definitely creating the idea of Frenchness and what it means to be a French citizen. And again, like, because it's a school manual, you do get a lot of idea on practical life advice for this time, the civil code, moral instruction, um, also like the economic industrialization that's occurring. It was really funny to see the explanation of cities because they've drastically changed. Um, You know, which cities were the biggest or the coolest at the time? How many people lived in them? How many people live in them now? Um, So that was definitely, like you said, it's defining, it's definitional, and it's an explanation but it's not complete and it definitely does not represent the francophonie today. Right, exactly. And we're really excited to move, you know, to modern voices um, and to diverse voices and, and seeing, you know, what else the francophonie has to offer. But I think it's really important that we read this book because this is a baseline. Sometimes as a Canadian, we get the question of like, well, what makes someone Canadian? You're not old enough to have history that's meaningful. And, you know, there isn't anything that 
that groups us all together, like what do we actually really have in common? And I think sometimes what we can see through this book is that, you know, it is what you believe brings you together. And the you know, imagine communities and <laughs> Benedict Anderson. <laughs> yeah, and I think she does it really well in this. I think a lot of French people would say a lot of the same things now. Maybe not all of the same things, but a lot of the parts of her definition of what it is to be French do remain true today, or at least remain true in people's minds. Just a final comment for me is what I learned in my French studies was a lot of these people mentioned. We had to read Racine and Didier and Descartes, and yeah. these were the, some of the histories we learned. So in that regard, it, it was foundational. It brought together the traditional understanding of French studies and French literature and in what I had to do as a university degree. But I would say I had the opportunity to take modern classes that challenged that. And I think it's just essential to have both. Yes, you need to understand the past and why the the narrative and the national psyche are the way they are so that you can challenge it so that we can grow. There's so many other voices and great stories to hear. Yeah, well, I think that we should lighten the mood a little and talk about our French moment of the week. So my French moment of the week uh, was that this book really inspired me uh, to have a little French moment, French dinner with my boyfriend. I bought a baguette for way too much money and bought some Conte, which is my favorite type of cheese, um, and some Brie, all of which were overpriced and all of which were worth it um, as we sat and had baguette and cheese and some wine. Um, and I had a little bit of chicken confit as well. So it was delicious. Oh la la. It was, thank you. <laughs> It was delicious, and I just miss those little, like, before you're going out for a drink or, you know, you're having a night in and you just have baguette and stuff. I love that. Yeah, that that apéro that lasts all night. It's so good. Actually, I had a fun French moment of getting to show someone around my town unexpectedly. Actually, thanks to this book, I had some fun new historical tidbits to add to my walking tour. That's awesome. <laughs> Which was, yeah, it was such a cool moment. Um, we were walking and I showed her one of the, the Portes de la Ville and I had read in the book about one of the kings and the, the Battle of Nancy. And I was like, look at here. This is exactly what I just read about. And so I actually had the dates. <laughs> I surprised her with, yes, in 1477. Oh my um, gosh. Is, but it's because I had just read it. So that was fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Quickly becoming, you know, a French historian. I'm basically, right? I'm, I'm becoming French. That's, yeah. that's a sign. <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. Next time on Les Bookworms, The New Parisian by Lindsay Tramuta. A bientôt. A bientôt.